Dude, that Red Bull was good, dude. Yes, it was. This is The Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. My name is Father Peter Mussett. Very melodic. Dude, that's, you know. Um, but but sort of solemn for Lent. It was yeah. perfect. You hit the right note. Dude, well, I always hit the right note. I've oh. Li- I've been listening to The Voice, <laughs> and they don't always hit the right note. You love that show. Dude, you don't even know how much. Do you know that you get two nights a week of you get two, Monday and Tuesday for listening for watching The Voice every week? It's I amazing. Didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just love it, dude. I'm into the show Parent. No, um, This Is Us. You oh, dude, that? you turned me onto that. This Is Us, That's dude. A good show. The advertisements on The Voice for that are like, this is the most watched and talked about TV show this year. It's a it's, heck of a good show. Dude, it's powerful good. Like, Ooh, baby. The writers on that have some serious stuff going on in their souls. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, me too. Well, you, Father Peter. Do you have some serious stuff going on in your soul? I do. You, I do. You do. That's how we make this podcast. That's how we make it work. You, you guys know that that our um our whole thing is that this podcast is from our souls. For good or for ill, well, friends, we are in the second Sunday of Lent. Should we give? Should a? we give? You know what we need to return to? Return to me. We need to return to our shout outs, dude. Sh- shout it out. Who are we gonna shout out today? Well, first of all, we should shout out your brother Neil Musset for reminding us that we need to return to <laughs> shout outs because he, because he's right. We haven't done that in a long time, and we don't want this to become an impersonal reality because right? there because you, you, especially. The solid core of Lanky Guys listeners, you guys are rock stars. I am so thankful that you guys um, are inspired. And, like, actually, it's really cool. Like, you know, more and more people are, like, coming out of the woodwork to literally, like, it's kind of weird statuary and stuff. <laughs> literally. Like, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that people have come um, out to say, like, you guys are inspirational and we listen to you every week. And, yeah. and uh, I, I was at a gala uh, for Our Lady of Lourdes Classical School. Did you say Lourdes? Lourdes. <laughs> Did I say Lourdes? Yeah. Dude, I don't it's know. Right. Uh, Lourdes. Because my friend Craig's wife's name is Lourdes. Oh. Yeah. So shout out to to um, Rosemary Anderson and Father Brian Larkin. Father and, Brian Larkin. And Who, did you know we were roommates for a while in Focus? We lived together. Dude, that's awesome. House. Yeah, Father Brian Larkin, man. He is a piece of work. Dude, I I'll love tell you that. I love him. I do too. Um, I also want to give a shout out. I want to give a shout out to... Uh, um, well, I want to give a shout out to Erica Martin, who um, apparently is a parishioner where... OLV, what is that? Father Father Greg Our Peterson's, Lady of the Valley. Our Lady of the Valley out in Windsor. And she's a listener to the podcast, and she was just really excited to find out that you guys were BFFs, which she didn't know. So worlds are colliding out there in the podcast world. What, what, totes BFF. I also want to give a shout-out to Chris Giles, who sent us a, a message a while back about sitting in a hospital room, um, sitting in a hospital bed, and just kind of realizing the opportunity he had to be a witness in this kind of unusual place. It was a beautiful email he sent, and he also just he added that because of the podcast – he really wanted to find Better Off Dead on TV and just wanted to shout out, I want my $2 <laughs> to see if anyone <laughs> recognized it. So. so our first reading is coming from the book of Genesis. Phil, like Collin, Phil Collins wrote that book. He did. He, yeah, he did. <laughs> Genesis chapter 12, uh, chapter 1 through 4, stopping at A. You mean verses. What did I say? You said chapter. One well, obviously. Yeah, chapter sorry. 12. Verses. Chapter 12, oh, verses yeah. 1 through 4, A. And then our psalm is from the 33. 
And um, it's uh, 4 to 5, 18 and 19, 20, 22, with 22 being our responsicle. The 22 is the responsicle, which surprised me. I was actually searching through the psalm trying to find the response. <laughs> it's way back there, tucked in the end. All right, our second reading is coming from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8b through 10. And our gospel is from the uh, book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Chapter 17, 1 through 9. Do you see my Bible? Dude, I've been looking at that over the last couple of weeks. Dude, you guys know, okay, I'm going to describe what his Bible looks like. Your Bible looks like the receipts that I was going to turn in to (laughs) fill. You know how it's like a receipts in your your pocket and it like gets so crumpled. (laughs) And you're like, this receipt will still work for reimbursement. Yes, I I have those. Oh my gosh, dude, your Bible is hilarious. It's just the first 12 chapters of Genesis. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's hard. Um, I'm trying to find. I I didn't read part B of A. Oh, I see. Okay, sorry. I I in in Genesis in the Genesis section we stop at chapter or verse four A, and I was just curious what the second part of that verse was. Um, it was filled it's, in by Canadians. Ah, uh, eh? very good. Yeah. I see what you did there. Yeah. All right, let's talk about Genesis. Dude, God's call to Abraham, man. Abraham. Isn't, um, there, isn't there a song? Isn't there a song about Abraham? Uh, Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all go to the zoo. I, I don't know how. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, know how that finishes either. All right, we got to focus, Father Peter. Okay. Um. Okay. So we, last we week, had Red Bull, you guys. We ha- we uh, we have. Uh, I feel like it's bringing me down. Like it's slowing me down. Dude, bit. you know what the funny part is? Is you're talking like this. Oh my gosh. Okay, we're gonna be here. Like you're like I feel like it's slowing me. Down. Shoot. I had a latte right before that. Oh man, I love the butt. I don't feel anything though, except the heaviness of that salty steak you made me. Neither one of us. Good. Neither one of us. We make this on Wednesday, not on Friday. And um, neither yes, neither one of us uh, gave up sugar for Lent or caffeine. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I once had a spiritual director forbid me from giving up coffee for Lent. Well, for rightly. the sake of those around me. Yeah. Anyway, um, okay, Genesis. Last week we were talking about the creation story in Genesis. So we talked about the creation of humanity and the original sin, right? It was kind of our recap of what went wrong in right. the story. Right, it was a zoom in. Yeah, so we just just a word about how Genesis works. The first eleven chapters of Genesis are sort of distinct into themselves, unto themselves, as what's what's known as the primeval history. That's what it's often primeval. referred to. Primeval, <laughs> dude. <laughs> yes, <laughs> such a nerd. Uh, primeval history. So so the universal story of humanity. So we talk about the creation of humans, original sin, which affects everybody. Um, all of the fathers of humanity, Noah, this worldwide flood, kind of the things that are happening on a universal scope, right? Okay. But then in chapter chapter 12, all of Genesis stops, and like you said, with what we talked about last week, zooms in now. It's, it's a much bigger version of that synoptic resumptive technique, where you have the big picture and then you zoom in on one aspect of it. So you have all of humanity for the first 11 chapters, and then in chapter 12, we zero in on one guy and his family, and really the Bible's going to stay with the story of that one guy for the the rest of the Bible up through the time of Jesus, who is a descendant, of course, of Abraham, right? Yeah, well, because all generations will call, I will be known by all generations. Uh, like um, Moses, well, that's Moses' revelation of the burning bush. Sorry, well, let's, we'll, we'll start, we'll just keep going with Abraham. Sorry. Cool. 
So Abraham, no, it's good. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of yeah, Jacob. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He says everybody's going to know me as that. I am who I am. Got it. Like, got it. Moses is the burning bush. God in the burning bush revealing himself to Moses. Absolutely. No, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I'm tracking with you. Um, one here's a, here's an here's a fun fact about Genesis. I think it's specific to Genesis. Synoptic, resumptive. Synoptic, resumptive, dude. That sounds like a sweet album title. Does it? Yep. Cool. Okay, so say what you're going to say. Uh, an interesting feature of the Old Testament, specifically Genesis, though. So what's everybody's least favorite part of the Old Testament? Of the Bible in general? Deuteronomy. No. Well, Leviticus. Maybe. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't have asked that question. Generations. Yeah, the generations, right? The long list of genealogies that show up periodically. Dude, you know how much I love it in Genesis, except for <laughs> it was so hard because I went into the margins of my Bible and I just started like taking all the numbers and like trying to add them up. Because I was like, I was like, this has got to mean something. It equals uh, the name. <laughs> Methuselah. <Obama>. Methuselah. Um, <laughs> what were you talking about? Okay, the, the generations. <laughs> Do you know what the word is for in Hebrew for those big long lists of names? Um, Have we talked about this? I no. don't think we've talked about this on the no. podcast. Uh, it doesn't really apply directly to today's reading, but it sets us up for it. So they're called toledots, right? <laughs> T-O-L-E-D-O-T. What? That sounds like a technology that you'd use for express lanes. <laughs> or a fast food chain. You guys going to toledots today for lunch? No, toledots, so it literally mean the generations, so these long genealogies. And periodically, especially in Genesis, when you see these long lists of the, the begats, right? Jibber-jab, begat, jabber-jab, jabber-jab, begat, jibber-jab, jibber-jab, begat, jibber-jab, jibber-jab, begat, jibber-jab, you know, and on, on, and on, and on. Which a friend of mine always says the only reason people remember those genealogies is because of the poor person who has to read them at mass and try to struggle through the pronunciations, right? I once heard him sung. All of them? I mean, at least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what you need to know. For, for the ancients, those were actually one of the most exciting parts of the text or of the narrative. Because two things, and this when, when you guys are reading the Bible on your own or hearing the Bible proclaimed, know two things about those Toledots, these long genealogies. Whenever you see a long genealogy of people's names, two things are happening. Number the, one. The covenant is being renewed. No. Dang it. No, okay. not really. That's what I thought it has happened. No. No, it's a literary feature, really, or a, oh. a textual feature. Literally? <laughs> but two things are happening. Number one, one major section of the story is ending, and another one is beginning. Ooh. Something is closed, and something is now starting. So after the story of original sin and Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, you get a long set of genealogies. And then you have Noah, and then after Noah, you get another set of genealogies, and then you have Abraham. So you can tell one big chunk of the story has ended, and another one's about to begin. But embedded, the second feature is embedded within those genealogies, you get the major characters and figures that you need to understand the story that's coming. Mm. So Abraham's family, Abram's family, is described in the genealogy that directly precedes this. And you learn who he is and who his father was and the fact that he lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is present-day Iraq, which would later become Babylon, which was where he lived before his father brought him up to a place called Haran, where he settled when God revealed this. So you actually get all these features and information about Abram that are embedded into these long genealogies because one thing is ending and another thing, uh, something new is beginning. And Abraham's story is something new taking place. God is taking um, 
humanity in a new direction. Because really the story of the Old Testament up until this point, up until chapter 12 of Genesis, is all pretty bad news, right? There's Adam and Eve, they're the perfect humans, but they blew it. And then their kids are killing people, and then everybody else is flipping out. And then you have Noah, and there's some new hope, and then God floods the world. And then after the flood happens, then Noah messes up and gets drunk. And then, you know, it's just this constant like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Everybody's a disaster. And then you get to Abram, and there's this new hope in Abram. And maybe this one will be a faithful covenant companion for God to actually do what he wants to in the world. Was this kind of the fourth episode uh, in the scriptures? The new hope. I, I, I knew there was going to be a Star Trek reference. Star Wars. Ooh, that'll tick off all the nerds listening. Uh, they're like, That's not Star Trek! Primeval Bolt! What would Captain Kirk say? Do we have any genealogies or toledots in the New Testament, Father Peter? Uh, we do. In fact, we start Matthew with uh, with a Toledot that uh, that actually has uh, uh, the Hebrew numbering that allows it to spell DVD, which is yeah. is is a is a precursor to our our technology for video viewing. Yeah, they only had eight tracks back then. I know, back man. The they were like DVD. This is some <laughs> prophetic action up in here. Yes, but it is it is significant that the new the first thing in the New Testament is a long genealogy because what is it saying? One thing has ended. One mm-hmm. chapter of God's salvation history is closed and now another one is beginning. And if you read those genealogies very carefully, you get all of these super important figures who point to who Jesus is. And like you said, even the structure shows the name David, DVD, showing who God, who Jesus actually is. So it, it's that's actually one of the, my favorite place that this whole genealogy thing is played out. And you can see like, oh yeah, that actually is really interesting. So anyway, that's a bit of a side note. Dude, uh, you know what would scare everybody? <laughs> <laughs> a ghost. A ghost. What if um, you had um, a pope and he got elected and he got out and he started reading a genealogy? That would scare everyone. That would be like, this is, you're like, what everyone is Everyone start checking their watch. They'd be like, and- Father, <laughs> your homily's going too long. All right. So, Speaking of going too long. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that sets us up for this new chapter in salvation history, really, in which God is going to use this man, Abram, to um, bring his covenant into the world. Now, in the Jewish tradition, the Jewish tradition, this is not the first time Abram is talked about. Oh. So this is where God first reveals himself to Abram in the Bible. But in the rabbinic, in the Jewish tradition, the tradition, it's a tradition, so take it for what you will. It suggests that God actually revealed himself to Abram back when he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, again, present-day Iraq, Babylon. He revealed himself to him there and um, showed himself to be the one true God while Abram was living among this pagan, um, idolatrous, uh, polytheistic culture. And as the story goes in Jewish tradition, that Abraham was so, Abram was so taken by the one true God, he literally began ripping down these statues and these idols and these altars that were all around and speaking up for the one true God. And he actually kind of got run out of town for doing that. And because he showed his faithfulness in that way, God continues to visit Abram and begins to work with him as this, this noble partner and cooperator in his plan. So by the time we see him in Genesis, again, according to the Jewish tradition, he's already had an experience of the one true God. He's already met him, so to speak, right? And now he's ready for his vocation to actually start moving forward, right? Yeah. Because here he just kind of comes out of nowhere. But um, he's asked to do something. So if you take the story as the Jewish people would, that Abram has already been introduced to the one true God. He knows who he is. Now God is going to ask him to do something about it. And so as this story kind of gets going, God asks Abram to do three things. 
So here's what it says. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from the land of your kinsfolk and from your father's and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. So he's got to go. So he he basically is asked to to leave three things: his country. Ite right? messiest. What does that mean? Going uh, go go forth. The mass has ended. Oh, you and your Latin. Oh, uh, so yes, yeah, so you got to leave the land, leave your kinfolk, and then go to a new land. No, and something else. A father's house. His father's house, which land, the father's house is the symbol of house. security. Um, the father, if you read the genealogy very carefully, the father has not lived in Haran for very long. They've only lived there recently, but it's still his place of security. It's where his family was. Um, so he has to leave all of these things, basically all of the culture that he has known, his relationships. And he says he's told by God to start moving forward to a place that I haven't shown you yet. Oh. So I've always I, I like the analogy. This is the, what always works in my head. It's like God says, hey, go and rent a U-Haul. Pack all of your things, all of your earthly possessions in this U-Haul, get on the highway, and start driving. And I'll show you where you're going later. But you're just like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'm going. But that's what Abram is asked to do. That sounds like a fun vacation. It kind of does, except it's the not a vacation. You're leaving everything behind. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, times are hard. Times are hard. Um, well, there, there, oh, there's lots more I want to say. So, so basically then God from there shows what he's going to do through Abram. And if you read this next section really closely, there are specifically seven things, seven things that God is going to do. There's a seven-part blessing that God's going to bestow on Abram. So listen carefully. He's going to, one, make him a great nation, number one. He will bless Bless you, you, number two. He'll make his name great, number three, so that he'll, he'll actually not just be blessed, but be a blessing, number four. He'll bless those who bless Abraham, number five, curse those who curse Abraham, number six, and through him, all the communities of the earth will be blessed through him or will find blessing through Abraham, right? Seven-part blessing. Of those seven-part blessings, there's three parts that are going to be highlighted and elevated to the status of covenant. Dude, I'm just listening to this and I'm going like, what about the seven petitions found in the Our Father? So it's a pretty significant tie. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Like that's actually like that's actually worthy of a. I, I mean, have you considered that before? No, not really. I, How it, they directly tie to yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I will, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I will make your name great. That's actually, Ooh, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. You know, like so. I don't know. Yeah, that, I'm gonna. That, that's there's mileage in there. There is mileage in there. I would love to explore that yep. with you. So yeah, those those seven things are going to be elevated to the status of covenant, threefold covenant in chapter 15, 17, and 22, where he's going to be basically elevated to say, you're going to have a, a land. Remember, Abram's itinerant right now. He's wandering. He's in the U-Haul driving. And God says, no, your people are actually going to have a land. You'll, you'll have a home. You're not going to be wandering forever. You will be a great name, which mentioned here, that's shorthand. That's a reference for a dynasty. Right. There's going to be a name that's remembered. Can you think of any any dynastic names that are significant in the Old Testament? David. Yeah. The Davidic kingdom. So there's a whole kingdom that actually has a name to it. Right. And then he's going to bless all the nations or through him, through his descendants. He'll bless all the nations. Now, here's what I think is most important about this. So This is a great story. But here's what's most important. The world is looking pretty grim. Um. Uh, by the way, sorry, this seven-part blessing. Yes, sir. There's five times in the text here, in what two sentences or something like that. There's five times that the word "bless" is spoken. Five times God uses the word "bless." The rabbis point out that in the previous eleven chapters, the word "curse" 
is used five times. So in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the word curse is thrown out five times. Now, as this new section of the book begins, this new insight, this zooming in, in two sentences, you have God's blessing show up five times. And the rabbis all said, this marks God's agenda from here on out for his people. The time of curse has ended. The time of blessing is to come. Mm. That's what we're looking forward to. So the nutshell is humanity is coming out of a really dark period. And God is going to ask this person to move forward in blindness so that he can be a blessing to his world. And he's going to have varying degrees of success. He's going to blow it in some ways. He's going to be successful and faithful in other ways. But there's a period of darkness that he's coming out of, and he has to move forward in faith and blindness in ways that are going to be really difficult. And quite frankly, in ways that he's actually never going to see the fruit of. He'll never see the promised land. He'll never see this great kingdom. And he'll never see the blessing that his descendants are given to the world. But he's promised it nonetheless. That's Mm. kind of the setup. And I think that's how we begin to make sense of the other readings. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So that takes us to the psalm. Dude, I just I have to say that Genesis is this. There's a lot of richness in something that I missed. Like there's a lot. I missed this. You know what I'm really? saying? Like yeah, yeah. It's so easy to like go through and to be like, okay, yep, God loves Abraham. <laughs> right, right. He has many sons, and many sons have father. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you just like you can chalk it up to some sort of colloquialism, you rather can. than to say like, no, man, we can do a little scuba right here. Yo, like, there's some depth. There really is some depth here. I mean, it's yeah. just what three verses. But there's a lot because these three verses in a lot of ways will define the rest of the Bible because these promises given to Abraham are what I mean, Moses returns to these promises. Jesus returns to these promises. These promises that are unseen by Abraham at this time are going to frame the rest of salvation history. Literally, that's not a overstatement. So these three verses are kind of everything. Promises, promises. It would have been better if that was a Genesis song you were singing. I know. I wish I had a promise song with Genesis. Here's Psalm the thing about, 33. Oh, here's the thing about Psalm 33. So there is what we're given. Again, Psalm, you know, uh, verse 22, Lord, let your mercy be upon us as we place our trust in you. Yeah, I get that. That's obviously applicable to Abraham. He's placing his trust in God. He's moving forward in faith. He's asking for his mercy to be upon him because he doesn't know what's at the end of this road. But I want to take a look back at the beginning of this psalm. Um, And the beginning of Psalm 33 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It's fitting fitting for the upright to praise him. Abram is shown to be righteous at this point. But then a couple of verses in, it talks about, it's this famous line that shows up elsewhere in scripture of, Sing a new song unto the Lord. And one of the things that Mark, a new song unto the Lord. But one of the things I think that marks Psalm 33 is this idea of singing a new song. Which is, again, what scripture is doing at this point. A time of darkness has passed. Now Abraham is asked, in a certain sense, to sing a new song unto the Lord and move forward in faith because God is doing something new I through just, him I that just, will be unseen yet. I just remember I, I, I had this idea, and I thought it was going to be a really fun idea. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out on bouncy the Bouncy Castle. Just, yeah, yeah, Bouncy okay. Castle. Dude, I was like, we should have a book club where we get together and we bring forth our favorite prophecies from different books, <laughs> from everything from like Humanae Vitae to um, to the prophecies in scripture to like Tolkien to Christopher Dawson and like 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 people wow, who that's... like saw how culture was going and like we're gonna do it and I wow. mean like. I mean, I know because because part of like what's happening is that there is a new like there we're in a transition of era as we're looking at Abraham. Yeah. We're looking at, at like 
at uh, this at this moment to say like if we sing a new song to the Lord, we we're courageous and we submit anew in a time of of real difficulty that yeah. that the Lord will protect, He will be faithful. And that he is going to actually show up. Why do we sing these songs? Why do we say God is going to show up when we're totally not expecting it? Because it's really hard to live. <laughs> yes. It's really hard to go through our stuff and to go like, I'm confused. I don't see the end of this. Yes. And I, then I then you really don't see the end of it. And then and that's why we sing these songs as a reminder. It's like, um, yeah. yeah. And that's why... <laughs> I guess it's not a song. I don't know where the song fits into it, but I mean, I, I'm thinking about Abram's life, a, later Abraham, and there is he's got to share challenges, right? Oh, he's got to oh. share hardships, some of which he brings upon himself, frankly. Yep. But I want, I mean, you got to picture Abraham being in those hard moments and realizing, wow, things are really ugly. And what do you do in the hardest moments? What do you do when the future doesn't look clear? What do you do when you can't see the road ahead of you? Well, ideally, you look back and you say. But there was that one time where God said these things to me and I heard his voice and I know that it was him and it was clear to me mm. and it was so powerful that I got on the road and I started moving. I remember that and that was real. And even if I don't feel that same thing now and if even if I don't see where I'm headed, I know that there was a time where God spoke those words and he revisits, I would hope and imagine, these words of God, the sevenfold blessing where he says, no, he said that to me. I know that he did. And, and this is the new song that is being sung. And even when it feels stale, you can revisit and go back to those things. I just imagine that being emblematic in his life, which that thought I think is very applicable to the gospel, which we're not at yet. But we're I mean, almost there. Yeah, man, you almost forget the, the Timothy, dude. Timothy's I didn't forget the, the Timothy. Man, Timothy's like but here. But it's, it's a perfect it's a perfect application. I have Second <laughs> Timothy, by the way, just a quick uh, historical note on Second Timothy. Okay. Second Timothy is one of what's called the pastoral epistles. So First and Second Timothy and Titus are called the pastorals. Why? Because they're written to the pastors, right? Why are you laughing at me? Why are you I'm smirking? Not, You're smirking at me. I'm, I, I'm not <laughs> smirking. Scott's going into his history. <laughs> so they're written to particular pastors of particular churches. They're from Paul to uh, Titus was the bishop of, um, of uh, the church in Crete, right? So he gives them these instructions. Stop smirking at me. I don't mean to And be Timothy, smirking. remember where Timothy was bishop? Timothy was bishop in Ephesus. Ephesus, very good. So 1 Timothy and Titus basically are these letters meant to be read to the congregation that give kind of these step-by-step instructions of how you should lead, how you should govern, what sort of character the pastor should have, and who they should ordain, all these dude, different that, things. that's really raw, dude. If the bishop wrote me a letter to be read in front of the congregation, let's just be talking about some stuff here. But it's the opposite of that. Because remember the situation that Timothy, for instance, is in. Because Paul brings it up in the letter. He says, look, don't let anybody look down on you because, because you're your too age. young. Yeah. He knows that Timothy's being given a hard time in this church. Uh. And so what he's doing as an apostle is saying, I want this letter to be read so everybody knows that it's my authority that you have. You, he's, on, he's with me. And whatever you say to him, you're saying, you know, that, that kind of a thing. So it's not to intimidate him in front of the congregation, but it's for the congregation to say, oh, yeah. This was actually something that was a practice borrowed from the Roman Empire. Caesar, when he would put a new governor or, you know, a political leader in place, he would send one of these kinds of letters to be read at their installation so that everybody knows this guy you need to listen to because he's got the backing of Caesar. And Caesar says these things, so you better listen to him. 
because he's got Caesar's authority. Paul is using the exact same format. He's ripping it off from the Romans because he knows the way the world works, which is kind of cool. But that's not what we're reading this week. We're reading 2 Timothy, which is a different kind of letter. 2 Timothy was not this kind of general instruction to be read to the congregation. I don't know if it was to be read to the congregation or not, but it was a much more personal letter to Timothy. It is now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Good point. But it was it was basically Paul writing to his protege, his best friend, Timothy, on his deathbed, on Paul's deathbed, saying, look, I'm about to die. I'm sitting in prison. I know the end is here. Here's my last words to my best friend. My last pieces of advice, the last things I want to share with this super close person in my life. It's it, which the last words of any major figure in the Bible merit really close attention, right? That's what Paul yeah. was doing here. And so he gets really, I mean, this is a, a raw letter. It gets really real. And he talks about these sufferings and he's saying, beloved, bear your share of the hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. He saved us and called us to a holy life according to his works and his own design. Um, you know, and he goes on. But I keep thinking about, you know, there's this, this great moment. Timothy is installed as bishop. He's going to be leader. Everything is great. But things are going to get ugly later on. And Paul's like, hey, yeah, things were really good when I started the church in Ephesus. But now I'm actually sitting in prison and everyone hates me. It's going to be it's going to be hard. Yeah. But don't forget where you came from. Don't forget the God who bestowed this plan on you, the God who made manifest this vocation in you. Don't forget about those things because things are going to get difficult for the sake of the gospel. Again, like I imagine Abraham had to keep coming back to this is really hard, but I know that God gave me this responsibility. I remember the words that he said to me, and I'm going to hang on to those as I go forward. And as times got rough for Timothy, particularly probably after Paul died, I imagine him going back to this letter again and again and again and rereading it and rereading it again to try to get the strength out of this and saying, I don't want to forget. I had a, I had a priest friend when I was a focused missionary who said whenever he did uh, marriage prep for couples, he said the first thing he would always have them do is buy a little spiral notebook. And he said the first thing they had to do was go uh, independently and take that notebook and write down the entire story in as much detail as they could possibly remember of how they met and fell in love. He's like, I want you to write out your story. And then he's like, keep it in a drawer, tuck it away. Years and years into your marriage, you're going to come to those points where you're mad at each other and you're angry and you're like, how did we ever get into this in the first place? And, you know, the sink's overflowing, the kids are screaming, the car's broken down, I'm really annoyed with you. You know, we all hit those points where we come, become forgetful. And he's like, it's at that moment I hope they'll pull out the notebook and go back and reread the story and be like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot that moment that I saw you and remember what you were wearing and saw your eyes or heard your laugh and kind of fell in love with you. I forgot all those things that we need to revisit and return to again and again and again, which I always thought that was a great idea, but that's essentially what we're seeing here. And I hope I just have to imagine that's what Timothy is doing with this. He's going back to the beginning, going and revisiting these things, which Lent is a great time to do that because it's kind of a dark period in the life of the church and we're supposed to revisit does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, it does. And so, okay, so where the gospel comes in is a little bit of a twist, Dude, I think. Yeah, so we have the transfiguration today. Yes. Which is up a high mountain. <laughs> yeah. Up a high mountain with uh, all sorts of exodus um, intonations. There's so much There's, that we can I mean, pull out of the transfiguration. Okay, so I have an idea. Okay, I have an idea too. Okay, my idea is this. Okay. Um, I'm going to show you a land... 
the the call of Abraham is some something so new and un, unfathomable. Okay. That in a certain sense, what we're seeing a little bit, I mean, I'm just looking in comparison and I'm saying like, well, why the trigger, what's happening in the transfiguration? Well, the form of Jesus is changed. He's not, he's not like, um, metamorphosized, right? He's not, he, 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 the form is just actually like almost clarified in a way so that we get a chance to see who Jesus really is. And so. Um, well, this, this is, is the key. I think this is the the question: is is this is is this like an apocryphal genre? Is this or is this a um, is this actually meant to be kind of like an entrance into the throne room of God? Like, is this kind of a liturgical? Um, like, what what are we witnessing in this transformation with Moses and Elijah showing up? And so so that that question of like, what is this revealing to us? And that like. I don't know. I, I have that question, and I have it in a couple of a couple of different ways. So, so how do you how are are you answering this? Uh, answering the question of why this why yeah. this reading? Yeah, I mean, your questions are really good ones. I think there's lots of interesting ways to approach. You know, I, Moses and Elijah they they, they appear with him. Pope, Pope law and Benedict. Prophets. Yeah, Pope Benedict. I, it was the first place I read that. Like the law and the prophets. They're speaking about Jesus. They're speaking to Jesus. It's this insight. But what I'm more interested in, at least for this point. Do you remember what happens in Matthew right after the transfiguration? Uh, they, it's a fascinating point in the Gospels. Isn't it the, where the, the kid's possessed at the bottom of the hill? Yeah, but what's interesting about that particular possession? It, only prayer could get rid of it. Yeah, but the, basically the apostles can't figure out what to do with this guy. Yeah. So you have the, the Peter, James, and John, the best friends, the closest ones to Jesus. They go up on this mountain. They see this new insight, and they're entering into the throne room in a certain sense. Like they're given this, they're given this moment of revelation, and then they they want to stay put. They're like, we don't want to go back down. It's crazy down there. But then they go back down, and everyone's losing their minds, and people are possessed, and they can't figure out what to do. And right after this, what's going to happen? Well, they're going to hasten to Jerusalem, where Jesus is going to be crucified. Basically, from the point of the transfiguration on, things start getting real. Yeah, and I'm I'm the way that I'm seeing this schema it's is like, the transfiguration is like this revelation to Abraham, and like, it's like and that. like the love letters that you had yes. the, the two kind of write each other, and like yes. Timothy's yes. letter from Paul. It's Jesus saying, "Remember this moment, because it's about to get real hard. So remember this. Remember this insight I'm giving you. I'm showing you something." that I'm not showing anybody else and that's totally new and that you've never seen before and I don't want you to forget this because times are about to get really, really hard. Mm. That's how I'm seeing this and how this all fits because it's meant to be this moment. I mean, imagine that. Imagine, and again, even years after the crucifixion, years after the ascension of Jesus, being Peter, James, and John and being able to go back and think, wow, did that really happen? I remember years ago going up on that mountain with Jesus and then he was really there, and I really saw that. And then Moses and Elijah were standing there. That was crazy. Wow. Because, you know, as the life of the church moves on and Peter is trying to be Pope and doing all these things, I mean, just imagine all the hardships and having that resource to go back to. Saying, man, but there was that moment, and I saw it, and it was clear, and I got it. And I'm going to live in that. And, and I'm going to use that as my strength as I move forward in this time of trial. And it was about 4 o'clock. Is that what it says? Is that here? No, no. You're referencing that. Yeah. I'm referencing Curtis Martin's talk about John. Yeah. It's a great talk. That like you do, you have to actually go back. I mean, I look at my, 
I mean, I look at 1998 in, in Greeley, Colorado, man, and, and yeah. 1998 oh, into 1999, like, dude, I go back into my life and I look and I'm like, oh my goodness, mm. what an intense amount of providence was revealed in the yeah. grace of God. Yes. I mean, I listen to your, your like frozen drive. Your talk about the frozen when it was like the car. You're in the oh, car. of that! Oh my! And it's like mo- that's a story for another time. <laughs> it's a story yeah. for another time. But these profound moments, moments. of grace. Yeah. This just this morning, I was taking a walk this morning. I was praying, and I was, I was feeling particularly lonely and down today. And something reminded me of a. Uh, it's it's so simple. Something Scott, reminded me. You're famous. Famous people don't ever get lonely or down. <laughs> yes, I am. I can barely go into the grocery store. <laughs> But I had this memory of of a group of guys that I had this fellowship with back in high school. And it was just this moment, you know, I'm 38 years old. I'm way out of high school. But it was this moment of realizing, wow, that was a really formative thing that I was given in my life. And I just, I, I, something reminded me about this moment where just things made sense. And I experienced this kind of fellowship and it was just this beautiful thing. But there's, yeah, there's those touch points. You know, you revisited 1998. Man, that was... God made some stuff really clear then. And I had these, you know, you know, we all have, you know, hopefully lots of those times that we revisit. Oh, yeah. But it's just amazing when God reminds us of those things. Hey, don't forget this. Don't forget that moment. Because that's the little food we have for the journey, right? That's meant to sustain us for the long haul because you can always go back to that. That's, That's little, how I'm seeing the transfiguration. It's a little here. bit of like limbus bread or a little bit of bee pollen. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> a little bit of black bread, just a little bit of. I'm I'm just trying to come right. up with like superfoods that are. Is black bread a superfood? Yeah, they're, Elijah they're, eats a lot of it. Dude, that man, that man knew what he was doing. Boom, boom. Well. You know what? Yeah, I just encourage everybody this week, just remember. Yeah. Just yeah. remember, like, because uh, we're all in it. And I and I think that there's a particular spirit of overwhelmedness. And forgetfulness. That, is, that, has, been, that has been poured out. And, like, as soon yeah. as we become overwhelmed, we forget. Yeah, that's it. That You said it. That's you know what I mean? Like, 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 we're going through our lives, and I don't know what kind of accelerant just got poured on the universe, but, like... There is an accelerant out that is like the the temperature is is hot and we are really like I, I just see it in a lot of my people I see it in my own life I see it just like there's a, a, an experience of being overwhelmed and mm. and in and when we're overwhelmed we need specifically to remember then right daddy tell me the story about when you and mommy met yeah you know yeah. like we you, long for that we long we, for that memory. We do. and Even a memory of something that we didn't actually experience, right. but we know happened and formed us. Right. T- tell us yeah. how we got here. I, I think, of, think of Abraham's sons. Think of Isaac being like, hey, Dad, tell me the story of when God told you all that stuff again. There's, when you were back in Haran, tell me that again. There were seven promises, son. Yeah. Yeah, we can be formed by memories that we didn't even have because we're part of a family that's bigger. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, so, that is awesome. So we remember mm. how you loved us. Yes. God bless you. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, we'll be back next week on the third Sunday of Lent. Okay, God bless you all. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.